right, guys. Part two. Oh, wait. I'm Stan the Man. <laughs> I'm Evil J. <laughs> and I'm Shoddy. God, it's good to be back. It is. Part two. Yeah. Evil J talking about Evil Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are we What are we going to hit on this one? We got the next two. Spiritual Healing, 1990, and Human, 1991. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then... We talked uh, about the... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, we're going to do Spiritual Healing, and then... Uh, we're going to do an interview with Terry Butler, and I pulled the death stuff from uh, when I had talked to James Murphy, like fucking, I guess it was four years ago now, but... That's crazy. Yeah, it seems like it was not that long ago, but he was a super fun interview and just a t- really good storyteller and shit. So I've got like about, I don't know, 15 minutes with him, 15, 20 with Terry, so they're not too long. So we'll have both of those. Nice. Well, let's jump right in. Fuck yeah. Let's keep it rolling. Spiritual heal- Healing, 1990. Still on combat. <laughs> Well, you basically interviewed all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bill Andrews returns from Massacre, Terry Butler, and James Murphy. Yeah. Switched out with Rick Roz. Yep. Rick was out. Murphy was in. Ranking? Which you can hear. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, you know, he's got a very distinct fucking way he way he plays with that guitar. It's just insane. Well, like we said in the last episode, Rick, he was the whammy dude. Like, he was just crazy yeah. Slayer, Kerry King solos, and now... You've got James Murphy playing like full on virtuoso, you know, oh, shredder. They are, so, they are so beautiful together. <laughs> the two of them together, it's so beautiful. So, like, I wanted to bring this up last. I don't, it's going to be a running thing throughout the whole thing, but like, I want to know, I would really like to know how much did, did Chuck have like in lead parts? So, I mean, I meant to pull out, I don't know if the liner notes say it on this one. If you look at the later albums, like I was looking through like individual today and it breaks it down. I think Sound of Perseverance, it breaks it like who does what lead. But, but okay. definitely Chuck has played leads on every single one. 
even when he has like these really good lead players. So I know like on this one, there's a couple of parts where like quite often they're like trading on and off. Okay. That's why I was going to say together they're so beautiful because yeah. at, at times I don't, and that's what I was going to ask, honestly, I couldn't figure out who was the lead because I did, I figured, because Chuck also has that virtuoso style, you know, with his solos. That's, so that's why it makes me wonder because like obviously he has the talent to do it himself, yeah. to write them, to play them. Mm-hmm. But then he always brought these like big lead players in too. Yeah, I think that were so better than very him. Interesting. Usually. Yeah, but yeah, he can definitely write a fucking solo. Which right up to the end, like he's still bringing in all these different players, but he still is doing solos as well. It's a funny kind of thing. I don't know if it's just for the live component or to have the variety. I don't know, but it's funny too. I don't know, dude. I think you're you're undercrediting how good he was as a guitar player. Well, I'm just no, going no, off no. some of these interviews too, where I don't want like I don't want to say too much because it'll be I in guess, there. Yeah, okay. But I mean, I, I, he usually was bringing in someone that was a little bit better than him, even though, to me, here's my thoughts on, on the Chuck solos were generally like from the heart, like you said earlier, Shoddy. Uh-huh. Like when you hear him playing, it's like he's speaking through it, and I think when you listen, you can usually pick him out. Like he has kind of a trademark thing he'll do. And yeah, when yeah. you really listen and you figure out which ones are his, like right up to the end, you're like, oh, that's a Chuck solo. That's a so-and-so solo. You know, sometimes it's harder, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So I think he he's really good at playing a heartfelt or a solo with some meaning behind it. And some of the other people will come in and, and just they have a little more technical ability is I guess what I'm trying to say. Well, hey, I guess that that's a beautiful segment. Let's go ahead and click on my Killing Spree solo clip that nice. I made. Oh, dude, we both made Killing Spree solos. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, did we really? Uh, I don't know if I posted it on here, but I made one. Oh, yeah, I don't see it on here. I must not have uploaded it, but I have one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's so good, dude. <laughs> Danny Boy, with his growing life, rearranging with the knife. I'm assuming our there. tracks were the same. Yeah. Oh, for sure, dude. I love that solo. <laughs> so good. So who, so who was that? That for was sh- a perfect. I think that's a perfect example of the trading on and off. Yes. That's what I thought. I thought it was Chuck in the beginning. Like, correct. No. Nope. No. No. James. No? Oh fuck. Okay. You, you. James has got that guitar tone that you. Yes. The yeah. the, the tone that I love then is is yes. coming from James. Yeah. Not Chuck. And Chuck in the middle. Okay. Then they do like that thing together. The Chuck harmonies. Chuck did that and like then... heartfelt part, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can. That's what I'm saying. You when can you tell start the listening, you know. Yeah. And when you hear that extra technical ability, it's like fucking that's James. But that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you're saying. Like those two together. Like holy shit! It's just such a good combo. Mm-hmm. So different too. Yeah. But it fits. 
Because if you just had, you know, one or the other, like, it just adds to it. Like, it just really gives you something to listen to. I mean, I really is, it's really is the biggest thing of this album is just the solos, you know, the leads and I, solos. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, this is the first album where we start to hear them more front and center. I mean, I feel like, like you guys were saying, the, the last two, Jason threw out, they were, you know, primitive. I mean, the song structure is very stagnant. It's the same. We don't get too many. I mean, the transitions are there, but it's what you would expect to hear. With these, with this album, I guess, it's the first time that we're starting to get these weird kind of fucked up transitions where it just, it doesn't sound natural to us, but they make it sound natural. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily something that was being done at the time and doesn't really sound like it should work, but for some odd reason, it does work when they do it. So there's some very proggy parts at times. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I completely agree. I think it's a fun one because it is like half of it is like the meat and potatoes stuff from before. And then the yeah. other half is like, you know, you get some longer songs. You do have some more proggy-ish things. And then the solos are so much more elevated. So it's, you yeah, know. It's starting to transition towards the end of the album. Yeah. And that's why it's like, it's such a fun discography because like you each album, it's just so, it's just another step. And I know it's like you rank them and it's like, really just listen to the discography because it's more fun, yeah. you know. I agree. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys rank this one then? I want to hear you guys first. Okay. Uh, it was seven for me. Okay. I loved it. It started to, you know, it's starting to sound like, you know, you get what I'm saying? My- Thank you. The, yeah, my <laughs> shit. But for the most part, I couldn't put it above some of the other stuff. It's it's is it, it's seven as well for me. Huh. Ooh, yay. Yep. <laughs> it's number six for me, although okay. Okay. I've every time I listen to it, it- I'm almost like, Dude, I'm liking it more and more. So, yeah. so how much have you listened to this one before? Do you listen to it all the time or? Well, back when I did that interview, it really got me more into it. Like, you know what I mean? Because I spent a lot okay. of time on it and I realized like the fucking how great it is. Because, you know, it kind of gets in the discography, it gets overlooked, right? It's, I mean, it yeah. usually is yeah. number six or seven, right? But it's only because it's just such a stacked discography. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's six, yep. but whatever. It's a fucking amazing album, you know? Yeah. So, Oh, sorry, but you were gonna say, saying you listen to what more lately, no, or? Um, yeah. So I didn't listen. I didn't give it a lot of time a day before. So I'm probably, with the exception of one other one, I'm more intrigued to go back to this one and give it some time because there's such good parts to it. But like, yes, listening with a discography, it was really hard to put the push this one up the list. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I I, I think it's a great album. You know. <laughs> I have, there's something against Chuck's vocals on this. I just don't mm -hmm. click with me. It's the effect, like, right? Yeah, the effect, but like the lyrics are really like, I mean, like the, the first song, like she's a stupid bitch. <laughs> like, you know, uh, dude, like, you don't I, like that I part? loved that lyric it's like, so no, much, I, dude. I laugh every single time I hear it, but it's like, stupid. it's like cringe, you know, like no, it's some of the not. lyrics. Are, I, no, thought was, I know I what, thought you, I know so what you're good, saying. Dude. I don't think that lyric is cringe because it's just always stood out to me. And I just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I know what you're saying. Sometimes it's almost like the lyrics don't necessarily fit the music. Mm -hmm. It's. I, I get it. I know what you're saying. I think. Well, I mean, it's so it's the departure from the the death, the gore lyrics. Yeah. So I mean, he's they're experimenting. You know, he's experimenting not, with that shit for the first time. So it's not so much the just the lyrics though. I have like a I have a problem with the vocals, the way stuffs delivered like flow. It, I I think it's exactly what Jason said. It just doesn't fit the music. 
Well, the music's I don't on a different agree, level though, with the delivery of it. I actually think he sound like if you just tone the effects down just a little bit, I think I think Chuck sounds super heavy and and cool on this album. Like I don't mind the way he's delivering them. It's more to me it's more like a little bit of like the lyrics sometimes for sure I get that and I and then like the effects, but I, I can definitely get past it. Mm-hmm. But I mean if I have to critique it, like I would I would throw those at it, I guess. But Yeah. I don't know. I think the delivery is fucking heavy. Like I think he I think he sounds great on it, other than you know what I mentioned. Parts, I don't know. There's just something about this. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you're fucked in the head though, so who knows? <laughs> no, I don't hate this, and I'm very intrigued. No, I mean, to go, I, like I said, I I'm very it the same as you. I don't know what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> no, I do want to go back and just actually give it some time, though. Right. I mean, I seriously and, gave it a lot of time, and honestly, to given the day, it could be much higher. It's just. Yeah. I, well, actually, not given the day. It's it is where it is, but it's still a great album. Like I still I, I would listen be, to it. I would never not listen to it. But I would be interested to see, like, if there's anyone out there you think this is their best album, like hands down. Like I would like to hear from you and why. And yeah, please, you know, please. Because I think we're probably in the majority when we say this is probably lower on the list mm-hmm. on most people's lists. I know our but. boy Willie Will uh, Pike, uh, one of our Patreons. I know. I remember him. He's brought up many times that this is his number one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the critics rated this one higher than Leprosy. So who? Yeah. Who are we to judge? Well, it's just weird, you know. It sits. You got the old school stuff, and then you got, and then it just switches, and you get more yeah, progressive. It's, it's just, it's not really yeah. either one. So I get it. It's just, yeah. But it's such an important one, and I, I mean, yeah, I love it. I mean, I really do fucking love this album. Even though it's six, I love it. So, I mean, I love seven. So, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I got to keep repeating that. But can we talk about my yeah. fucking, my uh, favorite song? Because I think this is one of the top five death songs again. What, what is it? The title track. Oh, okay. Which I got to bring this up. Stan was talking about the demos. The chorus riff on this is actually the intro riff, and it comes back a lot on the Legion of Doom from the Mantis days. Mm. So Rick Ross coming back to throw in some riffs on this one. Mm. I don't know if you guys want to listen to this one or, or not. I do. Torture from this may others learn. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, that's a riff, yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how does that, that part, I mean, it's so good. And then it goes into that tapping part, like, fuck. It's, yeah. It's so good. I mean, it's like an eight-minute song, too. Like, shit definitely starts changing on this album, you know? Very much so. Or seven, seven, eight, I forget. It, it's a long song, but, dude, that practice what you preach part and that riff, I mean, ugh. Cover? It's Nine good. out of ten. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's a good cover. <laughs> Some people hate it. They're idiots. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fucking weird, but it's great. Yeah, it yeah. is. It fits. <laughs> Mix-wise, this is awesome. Yeah. I know you don't... The, the, the whole vocal thing, yeah, I talked about that, but like the music-wise and the mix, I mean, yeah, it's just perfect. It's beautiful. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. I'm just excited to go back to this one. It's one that's what's fun about this one because you don't always throw it on. So when you do, I feel like it's always like yes. a fresh one. All right. Well, then uh, we'll jump into a little bit from James talking about writing with Chuck, talking about these solos that he threw in there. Pretty fucking influential on the whole death metal scene. And then um, we'll switch over to Terry. And uh, he's got a pretty good story about when they fucking toured. Europe without Chuck. <laughs> I mean, if you watch the DVD, I think they talked about it in that. They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but which, yeah. Le- which led to the demise. <laughs> yeah, which led to the <laughs> demise so up. of this lineup. So, yeah. <laughs> check out those interviews, and we'll be back with Human on um, after those. Oh, man, I got to listen to these. <laughs> your history with death when like when you first heard it like i'm sure you know in those early days with mantis and death like when did you come into the fold with all that um well there was a really good scene around here um you know in like 83 with dusty savage and sabotage and 
so we call you know we were all into buying all the records and stuff from all the cool underground stuff metal you know and death metal wasn't even really a thing yet you know i mean there was a you know bathory were just kind of starting and and venom and stuff so anyhow we um we heard about this band from orlando called mantis and uh so at a nasty savage concert i think it was in 1984 early 84 somewhere around there whenever that mantis demo first came out chuck was walking around the club you know they were playing at a place called ruby's a little tiny little place and uh i saw i saw a dude walking around with like a ziploc bag with demos inside and bill andrews said hey that's chuck that's that mantis demo i told you about you should go buy one so i went over and talked to him for a little bit and bought a tape from him we just talked about music you know what was cool at the time and and that was it so that was kind of when i first met him but that was my first introduction into to mantis slash death yeah. you know took the demo home that night and it blew my mind because it was just so raw <laughs> and so just you know underground and dark and i just loved what it, was you like know? the closest and, uh, you had heard to something like that at that point like was there anything reference wise well i guess maybe like venom yeah. you know um some discharge stuff, just the you know darker heavier shit mm-hmm. like that and and uh that we had heard some uh some hellhammer demos you know that was big influence but uh it was just in that vein of Hellhammer to me, just really dark, heavy, and raw. And, uh, you know, it was recorded on a boom box, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was my first introduction. So, you know, throughout the next couple of years, I, you know, started playing bass and got into Massacre. But then we'd kept track of death because, you know, Chuck had moved out to San Francisco and, and put out a couple more demos and this and that. And, and so it was just it blew my mind when the chance came up to actually join death, you know? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, going from, uh, just kind of meeting him a while back to getting the chance to, to jump into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I, mean, I talked a lot to Rick about leprosy and stuff. So once you guys got through that period and everything, you know, Rick leaves the band or, or is, you know, out of the band. Um, yeah. Yeah. what kind of situation were you guys in at that point? You know, you, you had a band where you had two guys, you know, writing together um, all of a sudden, that, well, I know Chuck did most of the writing on uh, Scream as well, but uh, yeah. what was the headspace like? Were you guys like, we need to get someone now, or was Chuck starting to write on his own, or what was going on like during that like weird kind of in-between? Um, I think we actually had maybe a song or two, or part parts of one song already from Spiritual kind of already done when, when Rick was still in the band, but um, we, you know, we... Uh, we played Mexico City for two nights in a row after Rick left and we got Paul Masvidal to fill in. Mm. And we weren't thinking, oh, Paul's going to be in the band. We were just like, okay, so now uh, we need to continue right. We, we we continued to write Spiritual Healing, just me, Chuck, and Bill. And um, we knew, okay, we got to get, you know, we got to get another guitar player in here. So we, we tried uh, a local dude named Scott Carter. He was, he was a shredder. I think it was from a band called Tempter, but it just wasn't a right fit. So after about a month of rehearsing with him, three weeks or so rehearsing with him, I mentioned that I uh, I knew a dude that's a shredder that's into into this kind of music, and his name's James Murphy. I explained to the dudes I knew him and I met him. He lived in Lakeland, Florida, but he was at the time he was jamming with Hollow's Eve mm-hmm. up in Atlanta, and uh, I had his phone number. I told Chuck, hey, I got his phone number. Chuck said, well, give me the number. I'll call him. So he called him, said, hey, we're looking for another guitar player. If you'd like to come check it out, you know. So James said, yeah, give me about a week to get all my stuff together. So he, he came down and 
you know, tried out and it was like an instant cool fit, you know? So we just started writing more, you know, and hammered out the rest of the album there in Orlando at a mini warehouse. We would, uh, stay at Chuck's house like Friday and Saturday, come back on a Wednesday during the week and, and practice all the stuff. And, uh, did you, you have know. to, uh, kind of, you know, you got, you guys were all in the band already. And then James came in. Yeah. Was he pretty familiar with the stuff or did you guys have to kind of, you know, give him the rundown? Well, he, he was familiar with it. I mean, he knew the band. He actually came and saw us play a few times. And, uh, I first met him, I believe sometime in 88, we were at a place here called sunset, a little hole in the wall club. And that's where I met okay. him. Yeah, so he was familiar with the band Death. I mean, he, I don't know if he knew the whole discography. I mean, the whole, like, the songs yeah. and stuff, everything. But he knew what it was about and knew what it sounded like and everything. And so, I mean, because, you know, you had yeah. this shift again. You know, like, each album, you shift. Each each Death album. Yeah. Um, so, was Chuck... Because I know Rick had said, you know, Chuck was kind of hinting, you know, about trying to practice and do a little more with the solos and that kind of stuff. So, when James came in, was Chuck kind of like, you know, you know, go wild or, or, or we're trying to kind of push things forward or... Or what was that kind of like direction-wise? No, we didn't. It, we never said, hey, uh, you know, don't do that kind of lead or don't do this or that. It just, that's just how it was. I mean, that was, it was just kind of an evolution of going. I mean, we were always, you know, even on that Screen Buddy Gore tour, we were listening to Watchtower and a bunch of, you know, technical metal and this and that. So I kind of think Chuck always loved that kind of stuff and welcomed some kind of, you know, I mean, James and Rick are totally different guitar players, both great at what they mm-hmm. do. But when James came in, it allowed for a kind of slightly different variation of some of the riffs, you know, a lot of more scales and harmonies that he could do with James. And I mean, James's leads, when James, I had never heard leads like that in a death metal band, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to my, I mean, he was just, I was like in awe. Like, and still to this day, the leads on that album are absolutely yeah. amazing. So it was just like, a great work environment once we started and, and with James playing that way and contributing, he wrote some riffs too. And, um, it was just a really nice work environment for, for about three or four months while we were writing that album. Yeah. I remember, um, when I talked to James, it was a while ago, but I, I feel like he was saying it was like everybody was kind of feeding off each other because he would be coming in with some solos and, and Chuck would kind of get fired up. And cause I know James was probably a better player at that time. So what, yeah. What was that yeah. dynamic like for you? Like, was it kind of like that? Yeah, it was killer. I mean, you know, like I said, we all were trying to just play our best, obviously, and, and it absolutely was a killer environment because we felt like we were doing something really cool, and uh, it was a little obviously different than Leprosy. Leprosy is, you know, really aggressive and heavy and dark, and there's some melody creeping on Leprosy. You can hear some of the parts starting to get that way, but um, it just kicked up another notch with James. Like, he, that ability was there. He He brought a lot of cool if you want to say fresh blood to the mix, but I mean, yeah. with, with him, his skill set, it allowed Chuck to do a little bit different stuff. And it, it did kick Chuck in the ass a little bit to try and perform leads better. Um, I, I'll always say this Chuck's to me, his best quality is his, his song structuring, his rhythms. He writes mm-hmm. songwriting and vocal and lyrics, you know, leads. He's, he's a, um, he's a good lead player. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that wasn't his, his forte in my opinion yeah i mean he he does good leads that's not what i'm saying but you know hit to me his best thing was actually his vocal songwriting and lyrics yeah. you know so but when james came in it definitely kind of little little fire under his ass and, and got him to yeah. you know buckle. yeah so it's it cool it's cool and so 
you guys, when you were writing, I mean, was it still everybody getting in the room to write and things like that, or people bringing their yeah, own songs? absolutely. Sometimes we would bring a riff or two to the band room, or sometimes just jamming. We would stumble upon a cool riff and work on that, mm-hmm. you know. When During that time, I mean, it's still pretty early on, you know, but um, did you, I mean, would you have thought that Chuck was going to keep going and keep going, like, away from that early death metal sound? Or was that just, like, a big surprise once that started happening more? Um. I mean, at that time, I don't think we thought to ourselves, hey, this is really different than mm-hmm. leprosy. Um, are people going to like it? We just thought it was cool to ourselves, and we liked what we were doing, and it was just like a natural progression, which, I mean, we actually, me, Bill, and Chuck started writing for the album Human here where I live now in Dover, Florida, in a building right next to me. We That's where four of the songs that are on human were kind of hmm. born. So, and we could feel it even getting a little more technical even then, you know, so it just felt like a natural evolution. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, by that point, I mean, you, you know, you had a lot more death metal bands now going and coming up. What, what were you guys thinking? And what was Chuck thinking like about the, a lot of the other bands, especially bands that were probably being pretty heavily influenced by death? Um, there were some bands that we were into at the time, you know, obviously uh, I think possessed at that time are kind of done with, but they were a big influence, obviously. But I mean, you know, Morbid Angel were just kind of starting to get their feet going and everything, but we were always kind of stuck in our own world. I mean, we would go see bands play and everything, but, um, you know, we just kind of just did what we did. And, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of the other bands coming up influenced us, but Mm -hmm. We definitely checked them out and were supportive of them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I, it's uh, it's obvious you guys were, especially each. I mean, each album there going forward, so different. Definitely not doing what the other yeah. bands were doing, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just always think about like what uh, what that community was like. Like early on, you had the tape trading. Uh, it was and just, great. What was I mean, everybody was checking each other yeah, out. There was always a show. I mean, it started really coming in. You know, like you had uh, Executioner starting out early, and they were playing shows. And like I said, Massacre playing shows, and then when Death came in, but. Morbid Angel were playing shows early on. You know, there was Massacre Morbid Angel uh, executioner shows that you know were, were going on, and there's a few other bands. A band called Dead. I mean, obviously, Nasty Savage were a huge influence on all of us. They were still playing shows, and Abundant Brutality, and all these bands were starting to do their thing. So, right, it was very fertile, fertile ground here for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. And then you guys, you guys got to do some touring on this right because i know there's the story of the european tour where you guys had to go without chuck but did you guys tour it at all before that on this album yeah we did we did two tours in the states for spiritual uh the first one was with devastation then we had like three months off three or four months off and in those three or four months is when we started writing human the Mm -hmm. human album then we went out with pestilence and carcass on a second, the second leg of that spiritual tour. Okay. And uh, both those tours were great. I mean, there were huge tours in the states. Uh, it was Car- it was Carcass's very first tour in the wow. states and Pestilence. Yeah, that had to be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so that's cool. So you guys got did get to get those those tours in there. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. You get, yeah. I I don't think I knew you guys had started working on Human before that because you know it's yeah, just uh, with the member change and everything. I mean, how much of uh, what you guys did then carried over? I think most of all the rhythms were still there, and uh, you know he got the cynic as his band for that album to record. But yeah, I mean the four songs were pretty much written. I don't think any of them were like kind of missing spots, but it was like kind of skeletons of the songs. And 
I don't even think Chuck had lyrics to him yet, you right, know. Right, right. And I would just kind of, in that time, just started working so we could keep moving, you know. And, and then uh, that second tour, the first tour had James on guitar. And then the second tour, we used Albert Gonzalez from Evil Dead. He, he played lead on that tour. Okay. Yeah. So, and then what... I, I don't, or what's his name? Rick Rick mentioned it, but what? why did you guys have to go without Chuck? Like, was there a reason that he didn't want to go? Well, uh, yeah, it's, you know, in, in the death community, I'm probably an evil, horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, you know, I was, you know, 21 yeah. or whatever, how old I was. And, and it's like, we had signed contracts and we had this whole nine-week tour with creator in Europe that had been promoted for months and months mm. and months. And it was a huge tour co-headlining. Mm. And, um, right at the end of that second spiritual tour, we had about a week off and then we're going to Europe to do that tour. Well, Chuck had started acting kind of weird on that second tour. And, uh, by the time we got home, we dropped him off at home. We were going to get together and rehearse a couple times before we went to Europe. He just was AWOL. He was gone. No one could find him. You know? And uh, so, long story short, we got our booking agent talking with creators management, and we all agreed that we could, we were just going to go over without Chuck, because Chuck, basically, I still have the paper here. He basically, you know, wrote a paper saying that we're going to go over to Europe without him and he's not going to be responsible for what happens, but he's staying home. We all signed it. He mm -hmm. signed it. We never saw him through his mom. He signed it, you know? And, uh, so he was just checking out of that tour. Was there, he and, just uh, didn't want to go or, or, I don't know. His mindset was he, he had just, a girlfriend had just broke up mm -hmm. with him. And, um, I don't know. He was kind of getting a little bit tired of, maybe the straight death metal stuff. I think he always wanted to do that control denied right, kind of thing. Right. He would get upset when he heard kids walking around, you know, while we're sitting in our RV waiting to go on stage if they were singing in death metal voices. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but dude, these are your fans. They love your lyrics, sure. whatever. But so we felt like we, you know, had to do this because it was such a huge thing. You know, you got nine weeks of, it was like 40 dates um, all the tickets were sold. A lot of the shows were sold out. Creator had their own crew, which were huge. So you're talking about if that tour cancels, you're talking about all that going to waste. Their crew, these roadies, are not going to get paid for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. It was a huge mess. So, and we were like, what the hell? So we basically, the drum tech, who was actually the drummer of Devastation at the time, I told him, he didn't even know anything was going on. He met us at the airport. I said, he's like, where's Chuck? I said, well, he's gone. You're going to sing. Oh, man. <laughs> he's like, what the hell? And then uh, Walt Traxler, he was a guitar player. He was he was in, um, he, he was going to play guitar, second guitar. I told him, you're going to be the main guitar player, dude, because Chuck's AWOL. Yeah. So we, we rehearsed in the hotel room for two days, kind of air drumming, air guitaring, and hammered out 10 songs. And uh, that's what we did. Uh, we just felt we had to do mm -hmm. that. I mean, you know, in hindsight, was it the best thing to do? I'm not sure. I mean, like I said, we felt guilty. There were so many people that had so many, their jobs were on the line. Their paychecks for nine weeks were going to go out the window. Yeah. It was just a big mess. Yeah. And we just felt that we had to do this, you know. So we convinced their management that we could pull it off. 
And we did. I mean, musically, it sounded great. It sounded good. Uh, but, you know, obviously, vocally, it sounded like a punk singer okay. singing the Death songs. But what can you what do? What did the I fans mean, we, think? We, well, I mean, at first, the first couple shows, they didn't know what was going on. And yeah. they didn't know what the hell was happening. But like, word got around the community, yeah. you know, that that Chuck wasn't coming over to do the tour, that we had some fill-in guys doing it. And they seemed to be okay with it, you yeah. know. Yeah. And like, I don't like to talk about it much just because it's, like I said, there's, you know, diehards that will probably want to, <laughs> you know, run me over because of all that shit. But we felt at the time, Bill and I felt that that was just our best avenue to pursue, you yeah. know. I mean, I mean, hey, yeah. that's, that's a tough, that's a tough call. I mean, you, you don't yeah. want to bail on another band, and but you, and, you don't want to. In yeah. hindsight, in hindsight, it kind of lit a fire under his ass because he called up the Senate guys and said, Hey, I got this, I got an album written and I need some help. Mm. Can you guys, you know, record it with me in the studio? And that, that kind of kicked his interest up again, I think, because he was kind of getting a little complacent with what was going on, not because of the musicians in the band, but I think he kind of wanted to, he wanted to elevate himself a little more than just being considered a death metal band. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there. Were, I wish he would have went. It was great shows. We had a great time, and um, he would have loved it over there. But his mind was in a different spot. And you know, I've heard from people over the years, like you know, some of his family members, and like from Eric Greif and stuff, that maybe the tumor mm-hmm. was starting to grow, and it was like skewing his 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 thought patterns or something. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but you know. We felt we had to do it. It's a good, it's an interesting point. I mean, I work, um, I work with doing therapy with people with brain injuries and things like that, and you know, tumors and they yeah. have a surgery and this and that. And, and I mean, I mean, impulsiveness or different decision making. I mean, that's that stuff's a real deal with yeah. stuff like that. So you just never know. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it's a it's an interesting way it unfolded, and I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I guess it is what it is. And it, it was always wild to me because it's like. Um, I know he, he took the band super, super serious, but I guess that makes sense. Like you said, if maybe he was getting a little burnt out on that sound for a minute and then he kind of got recharged once he changed well, the sound. Yeah, I mean, you hear over the years, I mean, he could be very, um, what's the word, very stubborn, very hard to work mm-hmm. with as far as like working with promoters and booking agents and managers and that kind of stuff. Like if he, if he thought that you were trying to get something over on him or dissing the band in any kind of way, like you were dead to yeah, him, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know. So I mean, so that you know, and and it was all just because mostly he was just trying to do what he thought was best for the, his band, you yeah. know. And I get that, right? Yeah, Pat, he's a passionate dude, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, uh, I mean, then that was about it for you with with death. After that, obviously, you did the uh, massacre yeah. stuff, which I uh, thank God for all that. Yeah. What about uh, um, what about like just more recently, just to kind of finish up? I mean. I, I saw at least online, you know, you guys did the spiritual healing, healing tribute shows. I think uh, yeah. Living Monstrosity was that the name of it that you guys yeah, did? Yeah. yeah. How, how was that? It was good. It was cool. It just came out of nowhere. You know, we got emails sent to us by a couple people that wanted to do the show, and they got permission from from the family and whatever, and uh, put a show together. And and uh, immediately, Gus and Matt from Gruesome were the f- first people we thought of to do this with us, James and I. So. We rehearsed a few times and it, it sounded pretty good. It came together pretty well and uh, great reception. You know, about two sold out shows yeah. and, and everything. And then, kind of out of the ashes of that, 
Rick just kind of propose a question. Would anyone want to see, you know, a leprosy anniversary tour of the album kind yeah. of thing? And that just instantly turned into, you know, Matt and Gus and all of us got on board and, you know, and so it's just kind of taken off and gotten tour dates and got a tour set up and we've rehearsed it. We rehearsed the other day for the first time and it's cool. Some of the songs Rick and I haven't played together like in you know since 88 so mm. <laughs> yeah that is cool <laughs> it felt good it felt good and it, you know i think it'll be a good tour it's you know it's uh yeah, i can't wait we're out, out there playing you know celebrating the music of chuck and celebrating leprosy as the album and we were part of that album so i mean yeah. it's only logical so so uh, that's coming up in july july 7th it starts here in orlando yeah, I can't wait. I wasn't there. You know, I never got to see those kind of shows. I never got to see death at all. So something like that, yeah. it's going to be, uh, you know, a ton of fun for people like me. So yeah. definitely looking forward to it. <sighs> all right, man. Well, uh, I'll let you go. You know, I could talk probably for hours and <laughs> dive into <laughs> Six Feet Under and Obituary and all the other stuff, but maybe we could save it for another day. <laughs> sure. Okay. All right, man. Well, enjoy uh, enjoy your week. Right. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm definitely looking forward. I'll be at the Detroit show and, uh, you know seen you in Bitcher awesome. many times and I'm sure I'll be seeing that again so well come say hi yeah there. for sure man back for a minute to you know you're talking about death and playing with chuck on spiritual healing and um i was listening to it a couple times this week before we did this interview just thinking about that album and, and what you had done on it you mentioned a little bit writing with chuck he would show, kind of show you something he had and you would kind of jump into it what was yeah. it like writing with someone i know he had such a you know he seems like he had such a clear vision all the time he had so much creative control what was it like writing with someone like that? Was it mostly a smooth process? I honestly think that that's a reputation that he developed later on in his career. Okay. I don't think it was really so much the case on the, on the first three albums. 
because you know I knew he you know he had co-writers on the previous two and certainly when I joined right away it was like oh cool man you know let's you know let's write this together you know what do you got you got mm. some riffs you know what I mean it was easy as cake it was so easy wow there was nothing to it and I honestly don't think that he rejected anything that I presented okay wow yeah, so and, I wouldn't have expected and like I said, that. some of the times I was, I was literally, you know, he's like, Hey dude, you got a part that will go with this, you know, and he played me something and I'll go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would pick up my guitar and I, I would just play the first thing, you know, yeah. whatever that part made me feel, I would just play it. Yeah. You know, I would just come up with it on the spot. You know, I mean, I know my intervals well enough. I hear something in my head. I can generally play it, you know? Yeah. And so I would just, however that, what he played me made me feel. I would hear it in my head. I would go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I might falter a little bit the first couple of times, but he would hear what I was coming up with. And then as I as I got it together and played it for him properly, you know, he would, uh, uh, if I didn't do it right off the bat, he was usually, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. You know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I understand that he had that reputation, but I, I have to think that that part of it, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking only about the writing you know, side yeah. things. And, uh, but for me, when I was in death, the writing thing was super, super simple. I mean, Terry jumped in there too. Terry had riffs. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? cool. and he, he contributed his riffs as well. And it, it went great. You know, it was so smooth, so much fun. We had so much fun during those writing sessions. It wasn't stressful at all. Stress didn't I mean, start really happening until the road. Okay. You know? Sure. When you get on the road, you know, you got, you know, people from complete, you know, this came out completely differently, you know, yeah, sure. I'm and, sure. You know, and, uh, you know, Chuck came from a, you know, a certain, you know, kind of family. I came from a different kind of family and we get along great during the writing process, but you know, sometimes you get on the road and sometimes you find out things about each other that you, cause you're, you know, when you're writing, you know, you get to go home, you know, like I, I think I spent one night a week at Chuck's house during the whole writing process. Mm, okay. Sure. And, and, uh, but you know, then we get on the road, you're spending every night together, you know, every yeah. day, every moment together. And, you know, you start, different. You know, when you're in your early 20s, you know, and you got more than one strong-minded person, <laughs> yeah. it starts to become an issue. But certainly that was not the case with the writing. He was very, very, very easy to write with it, very easy to get along with during that time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, and I'm sure I was too. And, you know, I got to, I want to qualify because I've sort of alluded to the fact that things got weird on, on the tour. Um, I don't want to come off sounding like I'm pointing a finger mm-hmm. you know okay. because if i were if i'm going to point a finger at somebody i also have to take my other hand and point the other you know another finger at myself sure you know i was uh i was young and headstrong you know <laughs> i was in my yeah. early 20s and uh i have my own ideas about things you know yeah. sure and uh so I, I was you know i was headstrong and and uh i'm sure that uh from his point of view i was being quite the dick and and, and uh, when i look back <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, maybe that, that yeah. would maybe dickheaded. Of course, then I would point at things that he did, and, you know, in my opinion, you know, was, well, that was dickheaded that he did that. You know what I mean? And, sure. You know, sure. That's what happens when you're out on the road and you're young, you know? Yeah, it's of just course. Personalities sometimes clash, but I, I'm, I'm certainly not pointing a finger of blame, you know, away from myself, at least certainly not without pointing the other one back at me. Yeah. You know? I got you, man. I know because it sounds. It, we're listening to it. You know, it sounds like you guys were having a good time. Like I, uh, the song "Low Life," um, I think is the one. Oh yeah, 
with yeah. uh, the like soloing. Were you guys kind of soloing back and forth on that one? Yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe so. If I, if I, I mean, recall it just correctly, comes off we, so do a, we do a trade off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and me and Chuck Styles really complimented each other really well at that time. And I know, you know, he he told me at the time that you know he he wanted a guitar player in the band that would drive him and push him to be better, and that he felt that I was you know that I mm. did the bill really well in that regard. And, That's cool. Uh, you know, I, and I honestly do believe that we, that album was the album, the first death metal, full on death metal album that came out and showed the world, hey, it's cool to play good solos, melodic solos right. on a death metal record. And, yeah. You know, I actually had a couple of the guys from Carcass tell me that one time that that sort wow. of that album gave them the confidence to start doing that on their record. That's really cool. And I think and they really started with that on, I think, like their third just necroticism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it and it could only went from there like you know even even more and because those guys are great guitar players you know and uh um but i think you know prior to that album people just thought you had to fucking yank on the whammy bar like Kerry <laughs> King, you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, hey, yeah uh, that's what's yeah i mean that's what's fact, cool about it man i mean like the it, it's the you know listening to it now it sounds like such a transitional album adding in the melodies and all that you know did it is that something that do you think that was a big part of just you coming into the band with that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, it was a really weird story how I got the gig. I mean, okay. I think Chuck was growing tired of the whammy bar thing. Okay. Sure. Uh, of course he didn't play there. He didn't even have a bar on his guitars, but you know, his second guitar player at the time, Rick, you know, that's Rick's shtick, you know, mm-hmm. and Rick's really good at it. And, you know, absolutely no, I'm not throwing any shade when I say that, you know, Rick was a whammy bar guy because, you know, Rick was kind of the whammy bar king and, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he owns that and he's good at it, you know, okay, and, yeah. uh, it, it, it's definitely coming from a good place in me. You know, I'm, I'm, I think that there's a place for that and I think it sounds great. And I think he did a great job. Like I, oh, I, sure. I love Rick's stuff on, on, on leprosy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't play it because Chuck didn't want me to. And, uh, uh, it wasn't really my style to go that crazy on whammy bar. I use it. I use it a little bit more expressively. Okay, within sure. a melodic context. But when I ran into those guys one time, I, I had already done a tour with the band Agent Steel. Right. So I had sort of started my career as a, as a touring musician by getting a touring gig in the band Agent Steel. It was right before their, I think, second album, their third release, because they had an EP as well, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for Combat Records back in the day, back in 1987. Their album Unstoppable Force was about to be released, and they relocated from L.A. to Florida, and they started advertising for a guitar player, and that happened to be the time that I was looking really hard to find a band, you know. And in 1988, I went into Tampa for a show at the Sunset Club, which doesn't exist anymore, and uh, it was deaf, and they were supporting leprosy. And uh, I had seen those guys before, but I had never really talked to them, mm-hmm. you know. And I certainly had never really met Chuck. I had seen the other guys around, you know. But I kind of knew what his voice was like a bit from him talking on stage, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and, and whatever on uh, some of the small shows that I had seen. So I went to this I went to this show and uh, I had decided that night to wear one of the Age of Steel shirts that I got on the tour mm-hmm. uh, that I had done. And so I'm wearing this Age of Steel shirt. It's only a year old, so it looks nice and new still. And I'm, I get out of my car and I'm, I talk to a few people and then I head for the door. Of the Sunset Club. Lots of people are still milling around outside. It's still day, it's still pretty light outside. And, uh, as I'm almost to the door, I hear, cool shirt, dude. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, why do I kind of recognize that voice? Kind of sounds like a yeah. California beach 
guy, like surfer <laughs> dude or something. And I, I turn around and look at who it was. And it was Chuck. He was standing there talking to a couple of fans, I guess, you know? Right, right. Sure. And, uh, like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? You know, <laughs> like, oh, good to meet you. You know, we just started talking. And from there, I met the rest of the band. We hung out a couple of times during that night. And, uh, I actually was doing some, uh, interviewing here and there for a Dutch fanzine. And, okay. uh, so I said, well, hey, let me interview you real, real quick for this Dutch fanzine. So I did. And, uh, we went across the street to do that. A couple of pictures against a building over there and we're just shooting the crap. But during the course of this, I had kind of noticed that Chuck, Bill and Terry were a little bit snubbing Rick. Mm, not okay. too blatantly, not too openly. He really acted like he kind of could see it, but didn't care, you know? Okay, yeah. He would just kind of, whatever, dudes, you know, and, and walk away, you know? And I would see them guys kind of roll their eyes, and I thought, well, that sucks, you know? Definitely yeah. sucks for Rick. That, that's a bad dynamic, but who knows? I don't know. I don't really know any of these guys. Maybe there's just cause for it, you know? And yeah. you know what? If I know that if I were running a band, you know, if I, if I had my own band and there was someone that I felt like I had to roll my eyes about, you know, they probably wouldn't be in the band long, you know? So I thought right. maybe, you know, who knows? So I said, Hey guys, you know, not, not to overstep any boundaries here or anything and stick my nose into anything. But you know, if for some reason you guys were to ever part with Rick, here's my phone number. And I think Terry yeah. took it and stuck it in his pocket. But you know, Chuck right off the bat, when I started talking to him, when he caught me at the door was like, Oh, you're that guitar player that got the, he asked, he asked me where I got that shirt. And I said, well, I basically earned it, you know, touring with the band. He goes, oh, are you, you're that guitar player I heard about that got the gig, you know? And I was like, yeah. So he already okay. knew. And it, and it turns out Chuck was a big Agent Steel fan, huge Agent Steel okay, fan. Loved sure, them. Yeah. Loved them. So, and he knew the guitar player that I replaced and he knew that guy was really good, really, really good. And no joke, Bernie blew me away back then. I could barely do passable, barely passable versions of his solos. When okay. I hung that game, he yeah. smoked, he smoked me, but trying to learn those helped improve me. Like it improved sure. me. It actually helped me, you know, made me a better guitar player, but Chuck, Chuck I guess knows Chuck you figured, can handle it. Wow. You can handle Bernie Versailles, you know, solos. You must mm -hmm. be pretty damn good. So, you know, ha had he not had that sort of background in his mind, me offering my thing, they probably just have politely taken it and it would have been lost, you know, yeah. but they had a clue that perhaps I actually could play. You know, right. Yeah. And, sure. and they clearly were not completely happy with Rick. So they held on to it. So shortly after that gig, though, I moved to Atlanta because I wanted to go to the Atlanta Institute of Music. So through some mutual connections, I met the guys. I met Dave Stewart of, of Hollow's Eve over the phone. He was looking for a roommate and, and possibly someone to jam with him in a, in a resurrection of Hollow's Eve. And so I moved to Atlanta and out of the blue, Chuck called me, said, hey, man. We got, we, we, we fired Rick. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, I was like, wow. And, uh, but you won't believe this. Man, I've told this story before, but, uh, I actually turned him down. I told him. Really? Yeah. I told him, you know, I and you were a I fan would, at this point, would, correct? Yeah. A big fan. Big fan. Of yeah. Of course. Yeah. I had both. I had Scream and Leprosy. I loved the band. Okay. Sure. And, uh, uh, but I, I said, but I'm jamming with these guys, you know, with Hollow's Eve now. And I just yeah. moved here like five months ago. I'd hate to just let these guys down. And so I get off the phone with him. He's like, okay, well, you know, sorry to hear that, but good luck. And, and, uh, you know, that's cool that you're loyal, you know? Yeah, sure. Take it easy. You know? And, uh, so I got off the phone with him and, uh, and Dave, like I said, Dave from, from Hollow's Eve was my roommate. And, uh, 
he asked me, uh, so how'd it go? What was, what, cause he's the one who, he's the one that took the call. I was in my bedroom, you know? Oh, okay. And he comes knocking on my door and goes, Oh, hey, dude, uh, I think Chuck from death is on the phone for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I got right. off the phone, he was naturally curious how it had went. And, uh, I said, he basically told me that the gig in death was mine. You know, if I wanted to come, you know, it, it'd be kind of a tryout, but he was pretty confident in my ability, you know, come on down, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, it, it was subject to a tryout. So I told him, I said, well, he offered me to try out for death and almost guaranteed position unless I just go down there and completely blow it. But, uh, I told him that I'm, you know, committed to working with you guys, you know, and I was expecting, I think, I think I was expecting, oh, cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. What I got was. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Are you fucking you went crazy? About it the right way, though. You I'd got a chance to play that. in death, and you turn it down. So <laughs> I immediately went and tried to call Chuck back. Yeah. Well, he had. Well, you got again. This was 1989. At this point, okay. 1989. I had I had moved to Atlanta, and uh, there was people still didn't have cell phones, man. It was still 10 years mm-hmm. away from people starting to have cell phones, and uh, so. I called and I reached his house and his mom answered <laughs> and she goes, Oh, I'm sorry, Chuck. You know, she didn't know who I was from Adam then, you yeah. know, it's like, Oh, sorry, Chuck, you know, Chuck left. I don't, I don't really know when he's going to be back. Possibly. He might've gone to his girlfriends or, or out to rehearsal or something. And you know, he's either won't be back till late tonight or, or tomorrow sometime. And, uh, you know, late tonight. Okay. He lives with his mom. I won't be able to call late tonight. Yeah. You, you wake yeah. up old people, you know, they get mad, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I figured I just got to call him tomorrow. So I uh, waited till the next day and I called him and uh, I caught him and he goes, yeah, well, what I did after I got off the phone with you, man, was I called this other guy we had as like a backup in case you didn't work out mm. this guy, Mike. And Damn, uh, yeah. so then where I went last night after that was to rehearsal to try him out. And he came down and he played and he was really good. And we all got along with him really good. And we told him already he has the gig. And yeah. I was just like, oh. I was crestfallen, you know, it was (laughs) a total bummer. And I just said, uh, I said, look, I've already told my, cause that was like a Friday. And, uh, I said, uh, I, I already told my work that I was gonna, uh, uh, you know, I already, I had already taken the day off. Mm, I I, I had already, I already took the day off from my work and already planned to drive down there today, be there for the weekend and try out for you guys, you know, see how it goes. Yeah come back up and get my stuff if it works out. So I'm going to come down anyway. I've already told my family I'm coming, everything. I didn't think you guys would, you know, fill the spot that quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm already coming. So I'd love to at least meet with you guys somewhere. I can play for you. So just in case this guy doesn't work out, you'll already know that yeah, you, you can do have, it. That I, that I can do it. You And he said, well, I mean, okay, you can come if you want, but we've already got our guy I think it's going to work out, but they weren't averse to meeting with me and hanging out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So they had me come over to, I believe it was Terry's house, came to Terry's house and, uh, we were hanging out in Terry's room. We shot the shit for a while. It was just me, Bill, Terry and Chuck. And, uh, so then before I left, I set up my boom box and I had this little thing called a Tom Schultz rock man. And it was kind of like what, you know, kids might equate today to like a line six pod. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of those little things you can just play guitar into without an amp, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I was able, 
this this particular boombox had a way in boomboxes. Yeah, people half the people listening to this probably <laughs> anyone under anyone under thirty right now probably like what a what yeah what the hell is that you know <laughs> a what box uh, had a boombox and I, I had uh, you know leprosy and, and and scream on cassette and I had a way to inject it had like an input where you could sort of inject something and mix it with it and so I set it up played the tape and I just played along with it right there in Terry's bedroom. And I played along with like four or five songs. When it came to the solos, I knew Chuck was was over the bar solos, so I didn't even put the bar in my guitar. Oh, okay. And uh, I just I played just my own solos whenever it would be Rick playing. So I just had to play over them. But I played the yeah, songs, yeah. and I, I guess I played them really good. And I guess he liked my soloing. And, and they were like, "Yeah, dude, wow, you're really good, man." You know, um, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll call you if something happens. But you know, it was kind of implied. Uh, but don't hold your breath. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, mostly it was just a hang, you know, looking at records and listening to some records and stuff. And uh, yeah, sure. Back when people used to actually get together <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, do that kind of thing. And uh, so I left and went back up to Atlanta. I mean, I was just really bummed out, you know? Yeah, of course. About the whole thing. And uh, I think I was back like three, four days and I was back working at the landscaping job. And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, here comes, I kind of distantly hear the phone ring. Here comes Dave on my door again. Oh, it's Chuck again, dude. It's, it's evil Chuck again, dude. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I went and picked up the phone. I was like, oh, oh, wait, what's up? And he goes, dude, Mark did not work out. He just uh... did not. It's, and I was just like, well, what happened? Playing or put, no, he played good, but he just, you know, he was just unreliable. You know, he, he canceled two rehearsals in a row. Like oh, he, there you go. He, you know, for like his second and third rehearsals ever with the band, he called in, Oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. I got this or that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were just like, Oh, um, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. And sure. they, they called me and said, dude, you've already tried out. You've got the gig. Right on. <laughs> come on down. And I was like, I'll be pack. I'm going to start packing my car as soon as I get off the phone with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I packed my guitar. I, I packed my car and uh, then I woke up the next day and hopped in my car and took off. And, right, uh, man. <laughs> was in death and immediately just started, immediately in, entered into the rehearsals for spiritual and immediately started writing. And that's sort of how that happened. <laughs> 